Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast where... Three hair-whipping, heel-strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture... Growing up in the diaspora... Wait, back that up. <laughs> My bad. Um, sorry, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. Oh, that was a mess. Jesus. <laughs> Keep it in there, keep it in there. Let the people know we're not perfect, no matter how we sound. That's totally fine. I got distracted. Um, how are folks doing today? How are y'all? What's going on? Um, it's a good week for me ahead. Um, so apparently I'm moderating at an event. So there's that. Um, because we're for um Heroes Day, we're celebrating the leaders within the community. So looking forward to that event. We try to do something every year. Um so there's that and kind of wrapping up some other stuff I've been working on and potentially getting new staff for a short oh, wow. period of time okay. in my department, which I'm about, uh, really looking forward to because it, it's, it's rough. That's funny because I've actually been looking at, um, there's this one time I read an article where Jamaica had hired like six, I forgot what titles they were given, but like public administrators that came from overseas. And I was just like, hmm. I wonder what it would look like if I went back home to work. And I've actually been like looking at that too of in terms of just opportunities. But um I digress. Um I'm tired. The week start, I'm just I'm just tired. My body just feel like it's a calm down. I'm just I don't I don't know. I don't know awful feel. I'm just right now I'm just let them right here, so make us if you're I I'm a dog. She's uh, but don't when it starts, it just it can't stop. And as much as it's tired, it was just, it was just <laughs> Oh gosh! And you going out? Um, I mean, I think we're allowed to be real here. Of course, I, but please, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it is also a weird time for me. I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm just overwhelmed since we're in the middle of the semester with all the marking or. If I'm just like in my feelings about other things, but I am feeling exhausted. And it's not like sad isn't the word. It's exhausted is the only way that I can think of it, really. Um, so, yeah, hopefully this week brings some exciting good times with it. But at the moment, I'm just exhausted. Just an update for the people, um, because I, I, you know, I just wanted some clarity. Some of the exhaustion was about that. Um, personnel you had mentioned a few weeks back. Um, what is the secret of that? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a part of it. I am doing better, I think, in terms of handling my feelings. Um, I don't know. It's just like. I don't know. It's difficult because I feel like I am not, I don't know, entitled to be having the feelings that I am having and I can't do anything about it, but like nothing can come of the situation. So I have to move on with my life and all the things. So whatever. Yeah. Be like a defeatist attitude, but me and we talk about that off ear. Oh gosh. So today we're looking at um, queerness in the diaspora um, versus or um, compared with queerness in Jamaica. 
And I mean, unlike myself who only lived in a diaspora space for like a year, you both of you have been living in a diaspora for about at least five years each, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right. So I would love to kind of get into what that will look like for um, what that transition was like. And actually, this particular topic, even though I know we already wanted to talk about it, was suggested by a friend of mine who lives in the diaspora in Netherlands. Um, and they had reached out to me after li- listening to our first few episodes of the podcast about this thing. So I know, you know, there are people, particularly in the diaspora, who want to hear about um, that experience and discuss some of the issues around that. So I'm going to just let you two be the storytellers for this episode. Um, and just tell me what, what it was like, um, um, a snapshot of what it was like being queer here. And then um, I guess the thing that shocked you the most or liberated or that sh- the biggest change when you went into the diaspora. Kareem. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. I don't mind. So I'm very optimistic, but I'm also a realist, or at least I try to be a realist. So I'm going to give you both the, you know, give you both the positive and the negative. But I'm going to start with the positive because for me, that was just one word. That was just liberation. And that was just for me to experience my queerness. There were definitely some culture shocks, I can say, because certain things, you just don't engage in it. Um, when I live the better life at Jamaica. Like, for example, when I say culture shock, for me... Um, I remember one afternoon I was fresh here, fresh off the boat, fresh off the plane, just get the people in green card. And um, I was walking to the store to a lie. I never store me to go at the store that me tell my mother. Me that got a man yard. And they're going to pick me up down at the foot of the hill because I live power hill. And I was going down, you know, to go meet him. And while I was going down, this one dude, he was like, he was looking at me and I was looking back at him, but not in, I was just, for me, I live in a very, um, somewhat of a rough neighborhood. It's not as rough anymore. But when I first came here, I heard all the stories. And so, you know, I, I tried to be vigilant of my surroundings and aware of where I'm going. So he was looking at me and in my mind, I was just like, oh shit, here I am. I'm about to get robbed. And he was on the opposite side. He came over and I wasn't mindful that I was like, you know, very flamboyant or whatever it was that I was wearing. And he came over and he's like, yo, where you going? And I was like, excuse me? You heard me. Where you going? Let's go back to your place. And I was just like, what? (laughs) To do what? Why are you acting shy? Like, come on. In my mind, I was just like, what? Because I've never in my years of living this life had another man just walk up to me and be so vocal about his intentions and what he wants to do. And I was just like, oh God, he's just like stopping me up so he could rob me. Like in the back of my mind, I was still about to get robbed. So that for me was a bit of a culture shock because I later on learned that that's pretty common. Um, people are willing to take their chances like that. In Jamaica back then, I was it was just a glance and you'd walk by the person and, if you, and you look back and if the person looked back, then okay, maybe there's a chance that there's something there. But never had I had some somebody come up to me just like that and express that. So that was definitely like the culture shock part um there's definitely like the avenues for exploration so like i said in the previous episode i didn't know what gender fluid and gender non-conforming was until um i came here but on the flip side and i hope i'm not jumping the gun too early on the flip side 
there was definitely, and I tell people a lot of the times, I learned that I was black um, when I came to America, to, to live in America. And I'll clarify what that means. I learned what it meant, right? What are the implications of being black? Because in my, in Jamaica, where we grew up, like I'm not a minority. Like we are what, 90%, 90 something percent black um, the last time we checked. So when I came here, I didn't understand what it would mean for me to be, to have all these labels, right? So I'm not just a gay man. I'm also flamboyant. I'm also um, an immigrant and I'm also, um, I'm black. And so learning and I'll share some of what that looked like and having to navigate that later on. But that was um, just kind of like the, the the wake up call that I had when I moved here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, so as I said um, previously, I had a relatively, I guess, sheltered upbringing. And so I didn't get to do too much while I was in Jamaica and uh, leaving first school was kind of my opportunity to explore a little bit more, um, get to know myself a little bit better. But it was also a really strange time because I got baptized shortly before I left Jamaica. And that's a whole nother story. Yeah. And I got a whole spiel from, yeah, yeah. I got a spiel from my pastor um, close to the time that I was leaving, you know, saying, you know, you need to be careful about the church home that you find. You can't just go to any church because there are supposed Christians out there in the world that believe it's okay for two men to get married. And I was just like, why is he saying this to me? I'm like, what, what, like is, is he saying this because he knows something? I was I very confused. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably. And it was also strange because around that time too, my mother was, so all of a sudden there was this friend of my mother who I had never heard about, who happened to be living close to the university town that I went to. And so she was encouraging me to connect with him so I could find a church. The other thing that I'll say too, in terms of becoming immersed within a queer community, I, so Kareem moved to a a city or yeah, um, when he, when you went to the States, but I moved to a small university town. So it was like different in that sense too. So I might've mentioned before that the town that I went to school in is, you know, relatively small, primarily white. And so there wasn't as much uh, social infrastructure for queer folks, let alone, you know, someone who is a black queer and immigrant. It's, I did appreciate that being in the Canadian context, there are more opportunities to, I don't know, live the kind of life that you want to leave, late, late live. This is also within the context where I was like very much trying to avoid Jamaican people as much as possible because I was just like terrified. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Kareem and I have had previous conversations about the fact that one of the difficulties we've had in the North American context is developing um, really strong uh, kinship structures. I mean, I'd like to think that we've gotten better at that, but it's been hard to find people who understand uh, the context, right? Because even if you find meet someone else who is black and queer, they grew up in a completely different context um, than we did. And so there might be, um, I don't know, moments where you can't connect as as deeply as, as you would like. But yeah, I don't know. I, I expect that if I stayed in Jamaica, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't be at the level of like self-actualization that I am at, at this point in life. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, some very interesting stuff. I mean, a couple of things that I want to kind of flag is one, when Karim talked about that, you know, that turn around and look, that kind of turn back to see if he's staring back at you. That's still a thing. I mean, that's a thing. And so funny enough, 
we were having a conversation the other day. Um, it was a community session about dating and hookup culture in Jamaica. And one person says, I don't use the apps. Those are the systems that I use to find it, to find somebody to kind of see how long they stare at you. So it's kind of interesting that we still do that. But that being said, trust me, people are look people in the middle of a tree in Jamaica. So in the same way that, you know, it, it might not happen in a certain kind of way, in that kind of a direct way, but it, it happens in very kind of discreet and sometimes blatant ways and it will kind of shock you. So suffice to say that we do have a little bit of that. Um, but I guess what I would love to kind of hear about, since, you know, you brought it up, Cornell, is that kind of how do I then, I've left Jamaica, I'm, I now can be queer, but what is my relationship to Jamaicanness and Jamaican identity um, in these kinds of contexts? And as you rightly said, as a Jamaican, your experience is different from a, a, an African-American, a Black Canadian, a Black British person. Even if they have Jamaican heritage, um, there's, there are differences in language, there are differences in um, uh, intonations and just moments and, and things that you kind of react to in a particular kind of way. That's a very Jamaican kind of way. And also talk very aggressive on them some of the, and then so people knowing so when you talk loud and aggressive is really excited, excited and happy. Yeah, I am somebody and when you had debate and you go at the top of your voice, you're really upset, you know, you're just you're just passionate. So yeah, right. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. How was it then being in that new space, finding out your queerness or um but then also kind of that's if finding your Jamaicanness or holding on to your Jamaicanness was even important to you. Yeah. I mean, I want to respond to something really quickly that you said. So so your point about like looking people and stuff, one of the things that I found that threw me off for a while when I came here is, I don't know if this applies to American guys, like straight guys as well. Maybe Karim can fill me in on that. But the Canadian guys I went to school with are more like tactile or affectionate than I had expected. And so... For a very long time, I was like, is he just like a really cool, nice person or is he gay? Like, I cannot tell. Um, so, I mean, even in how people, uh, I don't know, occupy or stand in their masculinity is like very strange here as well. In terms of the Jamaican piece, oh, did you, go ahead, Kareem. No, I was saying definitely, um, just to really quickly, so I don't, you don't lose your, your, your thought. But even here, the first time I heard, um, well, I'm going to assume that they were heterosexual men, refer to each other, especially black men, um, they use terms of endearment like, what's good, baby? And I've, in my mind, I was like, you'll never hear that in Jamaica. Like, you'll never hear two straight men refer to each other as baby. Like, what's good, baby? And I was just like, oh, are you guys like in a thing? Or that's just how you... And I learned very quickly that that's just how they interact with each other. Right. Uh, I was going to say about the Jamaican stuff. So growing up, I never felt like I fit, per se. And the problem for me is, I don't know how much of that has to do with my identity as a queer person, or if that's tied up in other things as as well. But so I mean that 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 makes the it difficult for me to parse out like wh- my relationship to Jamaican culture or to J- Jamaican people. Crap, there was something else. I, oh, so the other thing about you know coming to Canada too as a Jamaican person, there is the default assumption then that I am a a straight person, right? Because the idea is that like obviously if you're Jamaican and black, there's no way that you are going to be queer. Like, that's not even, like, that is not something that crossed. I mean, and again, this is within a, a small town, primarily white university town. And so I would get, I mean, there were a few moments where, you know, women would come up to me trying to flirt or whatever. And I was like, this is like, 
I, I don't know what to, I don't know how to, how, 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 how to do this. So what did you do? Um, the, the audience would like to know. I mean, I, I, I ignored them is what, is what happened. It was, I don't know. I don't know how to flirt with women. Like, what do you say to them? Yeah, ask me to say. Love your hair, love outfits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pocketbooks. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. Uh, and then, I mean, I have some, I guess I can use the word relatives, um, and they are like traditionally Jamaican, very religious in terms of, you know, their Christianity and such. And at the time they were supposed to be, I, I was looking toward to them as a support uh, system and it was agreed to have a kind of, you know, familiar cultural context or whatever. But that ended up being violent for um, other reasons. So when they eventually found out that I was, queer i got a very lengthy very hostile um lecture about how i was disgusting how i was possessed by demons i had to go to a pastor to get like an exorcism in order to make myself better um so i mean yeah so i mean the my sorry no i'm just a bit surprised no i'm just a bit surprised Yeah, so I mean, and this was in a kind of, you know, Jamaican diasporic religious Christian community. And I didn't feel held there in that kind of environment. So again, it cemented my own fears about being around um, Jamaican people. And it took me a while to to get over that. I mean, so actually, so there were two Jamaican students who started in my year, like straight, like international students that, that started in my year at my school. And we saw each other at the airport and I full on ignored this girl because I was like, I am trying to avoid Jamaican people at all because I don't want to see, I don't want to see Jamaican people. I don't want to talk to them. And I mean, this, this person has at this point done nothing to me at all. Right. And, but I mean, my, the kind of paranoia that I, that I have at this point is like, I'm not trying to engage. And so it's funny because two years later, we ended up being um, roommates, but I think, my initial response to Jamaicans at that point in time is just to, and I mean, actually this, this wasn't just a Jamaican thing. I was also avoiding black people period, which is like, and that's a whole nother, you know, situation, but they, they had like a black students association. And I was like, I'm not trying to be out of pain that because um, of what I had learned to believe at that point about black people. Mm. And homophobia. So, so Karim, your experience yeah. um, before I kind of, work through or, or respond to or ask questions around what Kareem just said. Uh, sorry, Kareem just said, yeah. Uh, I mean, to be, if I'm being completely honest, I definitely had that, like, outright rejection of my Jamaican-ness when I first moved here because I tried to avoid everywhere that would remind me of home, um, mostly because, and I've, like, since, you know, been able to process that and kind of learn about how to separate the culture from the people um, and all that mess because I I just had like this idea of oh my god I'm migrating I'm leaving this wretched place I don't have to come back here I don't want to see anybody here and um, and I think I had to get a hold of it because it really messed me up like I would avoid going into Jamaican restaurants um, because I felt like the people that gathered there would just remind me of home the moment they saw me they would sniff me out I tried very hard to like mask my accent um, or my Jamaican accent. 
Um, and a part of me was like, getting tired of asking the same stupid questions. The moment I go, hi, my name is Kareem Willis and I'm Jamaican. Oh, are you and Bob Marley related? Are you from Kingston? Oh my God, do you smoke weed? And so to avoid those, like having to like, I don't know, debunk those myths and stereotypes, I really tried very hard to to mask whatever would make me Jamaican. But I realized that people would still be able to sniff me out. And so eventually I had stopped. In terms of now and being able to connect to my Jamaicanness in some sort, that comes from the group of friends that I've been able to formulate, which are all like just Jamaican transplants. So people from other queer men from Jamaica who came here um, at some point or another that we already had established some type of um, kinship or known each other through mutual friends, you know, we, we bonded here. So for example, one of my friends, when he came, he was like in crisis, but I knew of him through another friend and we saw each other at Oasis at one point or another. So I was able to like jump in and help him out. And so it was just like that. We kept, you know, we now we have like a group of us that allows us to establish some ties to Jamaica and, um, kind of hone our own like Jamaican-ness and so on. Okay, great stuff. Um, I want to ask um, Cornell, like, how were you, um, or is it an ongoing process, but how were you able to kind of undo some of those negative stereotypes that you um, had developed and were taught about or based on your experience associated with Jamaican identity while, you know, having now lived in a diaspora? Yeah. I mean, I think it's was through meeting other either Black queer people or meeting Black people who weren't homophobic. So the person I was seeing, I eventually became roommates with. Um, She's a really close friend of mine now. And there were other Black folks, some of whom are of Jamaican descent, who I have developed really great relationships with. And that hasn't been the case at all. So I think part of it for me was not making, you know, generalizations about who Jamaican people are. The other part of it was finding a community of Black, queer, sometimes Jamaican people, um, but for the most part, like Caribbean folks broadly who are members of the LGBTQ community and, you know, seeing the kinds of, I don't know, options, opportunities, communities that exist uh, in the Canadian context. Um, and realizing that not every, you know, Jamaicans don't all think alike, which, which I mean, sounds obvious, obviously, but it was something at the time that I couldn't reckon with. I also think the having some distance from Jamaica helped as well, because like when you're in that situation, when you're around a particular group of people all the time, it is hard to consider the possibility that people might think differently about certain kinds of things, right? Because in school, you know, we were treated a certain kind of way. And my fear was if I go to UE or if I go to UTech, I'm going to still be dealing with the same group of people and I can't be bothered with that. Or um, being at church and knowing how those people think about uh, gay people, it was just like I didn't have a lot of models for... You know, yeah, there weren't that many models to see in terms of thinking about how uh, right. Jamaican people can be. I mean, I, I yeah. get that completely. And I, I I mean, I get those narratives. And I think it's important for to understand or to state or restate that both of you experienced a certain kind of trauma um, living in Jamaica that I've never experienced. 
And so it makes sense that your association of Jamaica with exceedingly homophobic kind of negative attitude, constant negative attitudes, it makes sense. I mean, if even when you're in the diaspora, you're still having people saying certain things to you and, you know, rehashing certain ideas, then of course, um, you know, it's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna maintain a certain association and image and, and stereotype that you have of Jamaica. And I think it, it's, it's fair to acknowledge that that's understandable given what you, both of you went through. And, the, and it's also admirable that, yeah. Um, notwithstanding all of that, you both have been able to um, begin the process of undoing a lot of that. And it's difficult because I can share an experience. Um, so now, so when I go to Jamaican parties now, whether it be mainstream parties, or we call them straight party, or we, we're going to like a, a queer party, I would never hear certain homophobic songs. Maybe there are some parties that might play them in a little. And then, of course, street dance, I go play them regardless. But um, most of the parties, the mainstream parties I go to, they don't they don't play them a lot. So I remember once I was um, I was spending Christmas with my godmother, um, who is queer herself, and we wanted so we we're in South Carolina. So you know that's already the issue. And then uh, we want to go to we want to we want to go to a Jamaican club, and there's one in Charlotte. So we go to the club. It was it was largely boring, but it was like. That, that was the first, and this was in 2017, and that was the first time I had heard Boom Bye Bye played so much in a long time. Like before, the, I hadn't heard it for, for years um, before then, and this is me living in Jamaica, not hearing Boom Bye Bye. But then I go to a diaspora community, uh, a diaspora space in the U.S., and I'm hearing the homophobia in a very kind of stark way. And, and, and it kind of, I think that was the starting point of me thinking through my theory that Diaspora communities tend to be more homophobic than the, than we are here now in Jamaica because and my idea is that they hold on to the image they have of Jamaica when they left and they kind of double down on that image largely because trying to kind of hold on to their culture within a kind of metropolitan or totalizing um, space of like a US or UK or a Canada and so. So the homophobia is almost oh, like a resistance right, yeah. to the to the to the to the fear uh, of a loss of culture. Yeah, and and it's funny because um, like that theory that you just described, I see it so much played out here. So um, I've experienced so much homophobia in these largely Caribbean Jamaican spaces. Like for example, and I remember going to a party with my dad when we just got here, and. Um, he went inside before um, the rest of us went inside and it, th there were some men by the door and I heard them very plainly. My, um, boy, I wish, I wish Baltimore not Bacayo. I'm like, huh? And for me, I was just like, what? And I knew it was me that they were referring to. And even just recently, right? And that's why I'm glad you described it as a process because this trying to move into these spaces and not be affected by them is always a constant process because sometimes you're doing really well and then sometimes something happens and it throws you off. Like just uh, this weekend, um, my brother works at a Jamaican restaurant and I was there and I went to go pick up breakfast because um, we had visitors. And he was saying that, you know, we almost had to come bail him out of prison because as soon as we left, he said, there's this guy behind us um, soon as we left the store, me and two other my, my, my two other friends. Soon as we left the store, the guy's remarks was, um, "Your friend them just left. Your friend them just left the store," and he said he had to say to him, "Put them on your business." 
And so they had um, engaged in some type of engage, um, exchange that, you know, resulted in my brother having to walk away and allow somebody else to serve him because um, he was just being really disrespectful. And that happens all the time. I went to another comedy show and they said, stand for the national anthem. This comedian came on stage. He said, stand for the national anthem. And so everybody stands up and you're thinking it's going to be serious. Well, at least I'm thinking it's going to be serious. And the national anthem was Bojo's Boom Bye Bye in the Boy Head. And I'm just like, oh, wow. And I could just feel the stares because there I am, visibly queer, my nails long out to here, not necessarily, they're painted. I'm not wearing the most um, clothes, that, the, the clothes that's definitely um, marketed to, to men, but I'm just there with these three women just trying to enjoy a good comedy show. And that was his joke. Like, that's the national anthem. I was right. like, wow. So, like, those, the, the homophobia being, like, um, very present in these spaces makes it very hard to, for, at least for me, to embrace those spaces. Yeah. Can I, I just wanted to add that I think, within the, the North American context, anyway, the, the conversation, the homophobia um, from Black diasporic communities, I think, is also laced with a kind of, like reaction towards I don't know white supremacy for Absolutely. like a, for lack of a better word so yes yeah, so if it is the case that you know people believe that they are oppressed by the man or that they've experienced racism and they might associate uh, homosexuality or queerness or gayness with with whiteness I think that's part of the kind of visceral reaction that that people have and, and it becomes a, a whole thing about like you know race betrayal or you know whatever the case is but i didn't want to ask you the glenroy i think i glenroy i i think i said in one of our early episodes i was thinking about this idea of what makes certain kinds of lives possible and you have been able to carve out you know a life in jamaica and i'm thinking now even if i moved back i i cannot i cannot yeah i i can't think of um, being able to like move within the Jamaican landscape in that way. And so I guess I'm trying to figure out what are the, maybe what are some of the reasons or the factors that allow for um, those kinds of possibilities? Um, what makes the Jamaican uh, landscape more uh, fertile or more um better, I don't know, better endured for, for some folks. I mean, I, do, so I think it's a mixture of a lot of things for me particularly, but I'm the sum of a lot of privileges. And, I, and, I, and, and when people ask me this kind of question, I always kind of acknowledge those that I have the bright people privilege, which means that when you're bright, you get a little bit of pass. Um, I think I have decent comedic timing, so people oftentimes kind of can look. So my queerness, I guess the easiest answer is that my queerness is though very visible, is will never be the first thing that you notice about me. And given the different context in which I'm, I, I see people, and also um, it may be that if you're seeing me as queer, but I'm your teacher, or if you're seeing me as queer, but I'm the, the only legal mind in the room, or you know, uh, if you're seeing me as queer, but obviously based on my body of work or my reasoning skills or whatever context you're seeing me in, you have to take me seriously, then it kind of, challenges the kind of power structures that are usually involved within a homophobic context. Um, but I've also been fortunate enough, specifically as after going to, um, to UA, of making really great friends that create safe spaces for me. Um, and so, so even when they, so like I have like a bunch of different groups of friends, but there's one group in particular called the My Girls, some cis women, friends that I have that I met while I was in law school. And 
when they are creating a space or an event that they want me to attend, you know, they kind of check with me if I'm comfortable with certain people at the space and, you know, how I'd be able to react to um, certain things. So it's about kind of my friends respecting me and loving me enough to make sure that the space is out there safe. But more and more, the more connected you are um, within the Jamaican um, queer community, you know where those safe spaces are. You know you can go and have a great time. I'm going to bubble up my body. I want party last night. I'm going to feel, but the party did nice. And then, I mean, the only thing the place did, but then the rain did fall and cool it down. Somebody, I made a knock it on the concrete and then flip it But <laughs> yeah, Slap, clap, my love. Slap and clap. But no, suffice to say, for me, um, and I think also working at JFLAG has done a lot for me in terms of making me think through myself as a, as a, a truly intersectional being and understanding that my, those things that make me me are a lot of things that make Jamaicans Jamaicans. We're loud, we're colorful, we're funny, um, we can throw shade, um, we can read, we call it tracing, but it really boils onto the same thing a lot of times. And, underst- and kind of learning that to be an advocate, I have to work through and just be willing to kind of step outside of myself and get where people are coming from. And that can be very taxing and draining, but it has kind of allowed me to connect with my Jamaicanness in a certain kind of way, because I've had to use the Jamaican identity as a way of connecting with people and getting them to understand that my queerness doesn't make me any less Jamaican. So I think working there and, and doing that kind of made me appreciate my Jamaican identity more. So when I did um, live in the UK for a year, I searched out Jamaican spaces. I mean, mindful that there would be certain realities, but my queerness never felt fully realized until I was in a dance hall space, because I will say that's the space where you will see my queerness in its truest form. Because what is more queer than a man a bubble in a dance hall? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> From a Jamaican lens and, and thinking outside of the actual sex, that's where you will know who are really about to man. When you see the when you see them are split and all of them somebody. Okay. And so for me, I think I went to um, the diaspora space with that kind of appreciation because of the friendships I've been able to cultivate and the work that I, that I was doing and also the social capital I built throughout the process of, of university and through my, throughout my work. And many queer people don't necessarily have that. But more and more... Um, a lot of them are, are, are right. developing some form of it, um, and they're much more visible people. They're out there now, and there are lots of different spaces where professional queer people, and even those um, that aren't necessarily professional, but are, you know, associate with those group of people, would be able to feel sufficiently free and safe and be able to be their true selves. Obviously, not perfect. Obviously, very limited. We don't have right. a fixed club or anything like that. So you know, there are challenges. But I think it's those little things that have come to kind of make it possible to, to live this kind of visible queer existence in Jamaica and still have the benefits of my, my Jamaicanness, which is the dancer, which is the culture, which is the family, which is all those other things that make me who I am. And, and just trying to make sure that I get all of those things in spaces where my queerness won't be problematized. Right. Okay. So I, I mean, so two things. Uh, the first is responding to your point about, you know, seeking out dance hall spaces. And I think uh, some queer folks who are members of the diaspora, I think they have the same connection when it comes to something like Soka um, within the, 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 the Toronto context. And so um, it's it's really fun to see like 
queer people winding up their body and other things. Um, even though, you know, a lot of these uh, spaces are purported to be, you know, um, heterosexual. Before you do that, just but the other thing I wanted to ask you though is... Because soca spaces are also sure. very queer spaces in Jamaica, to the extent that they allow for queer people to be free and enjoy themselves because the tenor of soca is different from the tenor of dancehall. So it's about letting go and having fun, drinking and all of that. So a lot of queer people have found space within soca parties. So a lot of time they got a soca party that you know is basically well so we call them like mixed parties. So it's like a battle party, but you know, straight people did that. We're all in our section. And we enjoy ourselves, and soccer parties are able to do that. So, so it's you'll find that, and it's so interesting because I remember going to a soccer party in London, and when I went and I saw who was there, I was shocked. I was like, yeah, because it was just a lot of overtly no. masculine men that no weren't gonna bubble in, no them never gonna dance and mm. wine to the soccer party and beat and them something. But when I go to a soccer party in Jamaica, I know what I'm gonna get, and I know that. Me, I'm going to be able to be free and broke out at some point in another dance. But when I mean, but when I went to that party, none of it was. It was almost terrifying because I'm like, I would never go to this kind of space in Jamaica, and this is me, the Jamaican queen. So for me, it it just kind of brought home the point that when you're in the diaspora, because you know those spaces are so few, they're flocked to by communities of people that won't necessarily be the ones that factor in within a Jamaica, a, a, a Jamaican, a domestic Jamaican context. And it changed how I was able to enjoy a yeah. soccer party. Because trust me, when I'm in a soccer party, I just let loose in Jamaica, but I, can't, I, could, it could, I could not do that at that soccer party in London. Oh, okay. Looks like we're in Macomb, Glenroy. Yeah, I forgot I'm a tour guide. <laughs> <guy either. laughs> <laughs> culture to navigate where my goal. This is, it's all like I come. I mean, I've Right. I, I mean, I know the soca spaces for sure. And I've always like admired and kind of been in awe of those people who have been able to show up in those spaces and just be themselves completely um, to the point where my friends would go home and come back with stories about, you smell up, my God, juve, my love. You smell up, my leg on my body, don't got juve, my love. I'm going to get mask camp on the girl, let me rush out, my love. I'm just, I just want to be a part of the experience. Um, but always, again, too timid to um to do so but i just wanted to add a disclaimer to that even though i'm speaking so favorably of um or it might sound like i'm speaking so favorably of being here in america i've still had like experiences of what i call ignorance um blatant ignorance from um black americans so it's not that it's completely a world better there's still um work to be done here too because i remember i was going to take a train to New York at one point. And this man, Simeon Fass, with me, his remark to me was, bro, there's way too much pussy in this world for you to be gay. And I said, well, bro, there are way too many schools in this world for you to be this ignorant and kept it moving. But I was shaking. And it's like you almost have to almost pick and choose your battles because you'll find those people who are just like, you know, you want it, you can toe the toe with them and you know nothing will come of it. But then there are others where you're just like, you know what, I'm gonna ignore it and keep it moving. Um, so there's definitely, I've definitely had those experiences where people, um, where people have been rude or you ignorant. You had a question, Cornell. Sorry, I kind of cut you right. Yeah. Well, no, 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 I have two actually. So the first one was, and I mean, I, I agree with Kareem's point, like, um, we don't mean to 
portray the North America, like North America or whatever, in you know this kind of like utopic, utopian way, because that's definitely not the case. But in in terms of what you were saying earlier, so based on what I know of you, Glenroy, you seem to be someone who is fiercely Jamaican, and you stand in that. And so I'm wondering if you have ever, if at any point you've considered like moving um, elsewhere um, in terms of like thinking about the kind of life or that you want to have for yourself or opportunities that you could have. But based on something that Kareem was just saying too, I also want to know, okay, so I was having a conversation with my friend a few months ago and I was asked, he was saying something about like, we were having a conversation about Jamaica and he said the word home and I was asking him, well, do you still consider Jamaica to be home? Um, For me, I'm still in this weird place where referring to Jamaica as home sits kind of uneasily in my mouth. And so I'm wondering, Kareem, as well, if for you, home is still Jamaica, despite the amount of time that has Sorry, that, quest- that last question was for Kareem, the home question, or... Yeah, yeah. The last part was so for, for me, the first, first question, part sounded like it was for you. I'm not living anywhere, right. but not live permanently anywhere else but Jamaica, and I'll tell you why. And I had already said I'd never live in a majority white country, and I stand in that because... And you were making the point when I was when I was living in London. Not that I faced any forms of overt racism, but being a minority no longer meant being a queer person. It meant being a black person, and so yeah, I had to start to think through mm. um, what that therefore meant and how blackness was read and and those kinds of things. And that's and those are realities I'm not equipped to deal with. I'm equipped to deal with homophobia in Jamaica. I'm equipped to navigate how and when homophobia shows up and I have the res- access to resources um, to respond to it or to give me the kind of um, emotional and psychosocial support when that happens. I don't have the tools to deal with the racism. I don't really have it. So I'm not sorry. Definitely not in America. Um, so it would have probably had to, had to either be Canada or Europe. And I'm just not interested. And, and like I said, my culture really matters to me. And I think, as I said, somehow working at the LGBT organization developed me a certain sense of love for, for my Jamaican identity. Because I think what, what JFLAG has been able to do um, through, the, through the, the culture and ethos of the organization is to kind of present Jamaican queer identity as a thing. Like it's a, it's a separate thing um, that you can be queer and Jamaican and the two do not conflict. And it's an amazing thing to be. I, I always have moments when I go to Batty Party I'm going to just stop and look around and watch people enjoy themselves in very Jamaican and queer ways at the same time. And I will not get that in its truest sense anywhere else. Because even if I go to parties in the diaspora, it's not the same thing. And then the actual the food is not the same thing. And I have my family here. And um, I'm one a Jamaican man. Like, I try other man, but I feel like the Jamaican man, I, I didn't really want. And I know them elsewhere, but I want one of my there. So, yeah, I just, it, it, it does, so it is home for me. And as much as I, I, I have the opportunities to go elsewhere to experience other cultures, but those have, not, those have only kind of reinforced that Jamaica is home. And, and honestly, I think, um, if, I think if, if the homophobia had been manifest itself the way that it did, I don't know how many queer people would actually leave. Um, I mean, yes, there are other issues like with the crime and with the, eco- the economy mm-hmm. and all of that. But I think I'm thinking through how the kind of complexities that come with being a black queer immigrant 
in another you know in a majority white country that the pool is less so if Jamaica is not as homophobic as it is in my mind. And then also make a girlfriend go go start from gotcha. scratch. Me at yellow Jamaica, so we not left. <laughs> I love oh my god legendary when you start talking I'm going to mute my mic I'm over here say it with love like I was a nuts I'm looking <laughs> oh man we're going to mute my mic I'm over here I'm going to this the whole way I just said but um <laughs> but what more power to you and definitely um like everything that you've said is completely valid because when I I always like I always thank God that I came here at the age that I did because if I was and it's happened like my older brother he came here he was um oh my god he was in the Jamaican Constabulary Force and he was working his way up um I think he was like a sergeant by the time his filing came through and so I know it was really a thing for him to like having to worry about having to start over pretty much um, I've had friends who've attended um, UWE, graduated, but still have to come here and finish. Essentially, they'll like uh, fin- get another undergrad degree. Like they can't just go into a graduate program or anything of the sort. Um, so I, I definitely feel that. But in terms of Jamaica being home for me, um, I think in my mind I'm still like undoing and on like relearning a lot of stuff. So unlearning and relearning some stuff as it relates to. Um, my reactions towards Jamaica and Jamaicanness, like the country, and honestly, I feel like I like most when I envision my life and long term plans. Where I am now is pretty much where I see myself as home, or another like if I consider another country. Like for example, if I'm finished with this PhD program and I'm going to go teach somewhere else, I never thought that oh maybe I should go teach in Jamaica and be there and live there. Um, so that's one thing that I don't think I'm talking about being equipped to to handle. I don't know if I'm equipped. And I guess if I have, like I said, if I was still there and I had like perhaps people like you in my circle, then me having to navigate um, the queer culture and the Jamaican culture simultaneously would have been completely different. But I think now having been so far removed from it and not keeping abreast of the movement and how much progress we have made, um, it's hard for me to envision and that is completely understandable. Because um, I feel like often time when we have the conversation about mm-hmm. our lives in the Caribbean versus our lives in the diaspora, it's all. It's, some people kind of treat it as if it's, a, it's this combative either or, and it's not really that. Like life, life is 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 complicated and nuanced, and some of us thrive in some spaces and others are not. Like mm-hmm. I think I might have mentioned this before, but I have a best friend who is living in Mexico, and I love him to pieces, and I really wish. We were here to be friends together, but I know he's living his best life in Mexico. Something he'd never be able, never be able to to do in Jamaica, just because our personalities are different and how he navigates spaces is different, and it just wouldn't work for him. Like he, because I've always not been as self conscious about certain things, and I've always not been a been afraid of stepping on toes. And I also, I mean, the morbid side is that I'm also, I've I came to accept the possibility of death a long time ago. And so that and that doesn't prevent me from living. And so, a lot of my a lot of my friends who have moved or, or whatever, they don't necessarily have that. And so, I for him, that would just not work. And so, I get that. Um, but for me, it works. So the two can coexist quite peacefully. 
Right. And before Cornell answers the question, it's funny because I'm sitting here reflecting on how when I um, when I first moved here and I was struggling to make friends and I was struggling to learn my way around, I wanted nothing more than to be back in Jamaica to the point where I remember asking my mom, like, is it possible to just like hold on to my green card? Can I get dual citizenship? Because I, re- I remember high school students having um, having dual citizenship. Can I do that? Um, can I just come up when um, I want to shop for clothes and then go back home? Like, I'll go to UWE. I'll be there. Like, I I remember like could not being able to envision a social life outside of Jamaica for um, at least for the first three years that I was here. Um, and so now it's. It, it's crazy how now I can't even imagine being back in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. What about you, Cornell? What's so wait, I, now? Wait, am I answering the question about like home or like? Yeah. I mean, so the short answer to that would be no. <laughs> I so I mean, as I've said before, I growing up, I didn't feel like I fit, and I don't think that is that just has to do with my identity as a as a queer person. Um, I was, I, you know, I used to joke with some friends saying that the only reason I would go back to Jamaica willingly is, you know, for weddings and funerals. And even so that is like, that is like left to, for a very small list. Um, and so my parents have even gotten to the point where they have accepted, you know, with some, um, I don't know, sense of disappointment that I am in no rush. I have no interest to, to go back right now. And it's, I mean, at this point, it's not so much, you know, having to do with homophobia necessarily. I just, and I mean, this sounds, I feel bad saying this, but it's, it's like not, it's not for, for, for me. I am, um, I, the one time I've been in Canada for about eight years and I've only been back once. And the one time I went, I resented being there. I did not want to leave the house. I wanted to like hurry up and get back on a plane. And so I have to like be okay with the fact that maybe it's just like not mm. the, the right space for me. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> we went through a lot. <laughs> a lot was said. Um, I guess for me, the last thing I would love to kind of end on and hear about is, I mean, our feeling, or just kind of talk through some of that queer, that queer Jamaican diaspora stuff, because I feel like what is lost is the power to for the queer people in the diaspora and the queer people in Jamaica to connect and tell a kind of these tell more of these kinds of stories and have more of these kinds of conversations and do a lot of the, the healing work that. I think is necessary because I think the only way, uh, one of the, the best best ways, if not the only way, you can truly heal from going through certain forms of homophobia in Jamaica is by connecting to Jamaica in a certain kind of way and having a uncomfortable conversations, um, whatever that looks like with Jamaica. And that might be with your friends that live in Jamaica or um, by visiting and, and going back to certain sites and kind of, um, where possible. So I'm just wondering, Where's the room for that kind of interaction with the queer diaspora? Mm -hmm. I I mean, I forgot to mention earlier, and I'll use this as, I mean, maybe a response to your question, but I'll say that, um, oh, right. I was saying for me, home isn't so much the kind of geographical, you know, physical um, 
place home is where your people are. And while I it is uncomfortable, while I feel uncomfortable uh, with the idea of you know being in Jamaica or visiting Jamaica, I still love Jamaican people. Um, I have established a really wonderful network of uh, Jamaican, you know, folks um, in in Canada, and we're able to and we're able to like embrace our Jamaicanness and our queerness mm-hmm. um, in ways that is like really uh, fulfilling um, for me. So that's what I think. So I guess for me, it's kind of how can that last part again, Glenroy? Start that process of. of bridging the gap between the queer diaspora and the queer communities here and bringing us together so we can do the healing work and have more of these kinds of conversations. Um, I don't know. I know I've been thinking about it only because, well, not just only because, but um, as I become more secure in myself and, um, you know, affirm, affirming who I am, I've been thinking about home being Jamaica a lot in terms of, okay, what can I do as somebody who lives here and has access and not like looking at the um, queer people back home as like powerless or anything of the sort, but how can I start to, I don't know, do my part to help with the advocacy? How can I start to do my part to work with agencies and organizations that are doing the work um, back home? And just recently my friend, my mentor reached out to me and he was saying that he was gathering um, sanitary items for um, to send back home for the um, for, for the queer community as part of some mission thing that he does every year. And I'm like starting to consider being a part of that. So maybe for me, it's getting in touch with people that are there on the ground and um, not so like having this reaction where I just want nothing to do with it and it being Jamaica or the country or anything, just acting like it never existed. It wasn't a part of my experience. That's kind of like for me working to affirm that and um, and acknowledge that for what it was, but also acknowledging what can what it can be going forward. Go right ahead. Can I just add something really quickly, if that's okay? Uh-huh. I mean, I was I was just going to say that um, part of what we have to do, and I think we're trying to do some of that work here in terms of. Um, shifting the narratives or complicating or more like fully developing the kinds of narratives that that, that people have in terms of their experience. I think for the, the narrative for some people is that, you know, Jamaica was horrible. It's awful. They leave, they come to countries like Canada or the U.S. And so their connection with Jamaica or Jamaican people gets cut off and they kind of maintain, uh, you know, a kind of like negative idea and representation of what uh, Jamaica is. And I think it's important to have more um, nuanced stories about um, people's experiences to be like, yes, there there is homophobia in certain areas, but there's also like other stuff going on. Um, so it doesn't become this kind of like um, yeah. narrow, I think reductive what you're kind talking of about narrative is, that doesn't help. When Chimamanda talks about the danger of a single story, and I think it's it's very easy for somebody who's dealing with mm-hmm. trauma to kind of latch onto that story, and because of what because of the impacts of that trauma. Um, but due to being examples of people doing the work to undo that, and now taking steps to kind of 
diversify the stories that you're reading or complicate the stories that you're reading. I think it's probably the, the first major step towards bridging the divide between the queer communities here and those abroad. So, with that being said, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Um, this is a wonderful conversation, and I hope we can do some. I mean, I think there's some stuff that we we weren't even able to touch um, about what it meant to be you know, a queer Jamaican person in um, in a in a foreign space. So. Uh, I think there's a lot more we can look back on and maybe have, have another episode. Thanks again for joining us. Um, as always, please contact us on our socials, Fishy Podcast on Instagram uh, and Twitter. Uh, and Facebook. And, oh, yes, and, and Facebook, absolutely. And please keep the comments coming. If there are things that you want us to talk about, please give us uh, a shout out and we'll be back right. Well, we'll be back with you <laughs> right here, same time next week. Yes, yeah. All right. I'll see you later, folks.